Bad news, I have no science experiments for you today, so. <laughs> Let us pray. God, take our ears and hear through them. Take our minds and think through them. And take our hearts and set them on fire. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. So, in the reading we heard this morning from Matthew's Gospel, Jesus tells a parable about what to do with your money. But because it's a parable, it's about more. It's about more than just how to spend your money. It's about how to spend your life. There are, of course, a lot of people, a lot of banks, a lot of financial advisors who are happy to help us figure out what to do with our money. There's Edward Jones and Charles Schwab and J.P. Morgan and Suze Ormond and Dave Ramsey and Jim Cramer. Um, and in a complex economy, it is important to think carefully and to plan intentionally. And for some of us, that means just trying to get to the end of the month with enough to pay our bills. Some of us are trying to figure out if we can buy a house in an economy like Portland's or how we're going to get our kids through college. Some of us are trying to find enough money to retire. Some of us are worried about legacy, about what we want to leave behind. A lot of folks happy to help us figure out what to do with our money. In this reading today, Jesus makes his pitch. He tells a story about wealth management, about an employee who suddenly comes into five talents and another who comes into three, and a third who comes into one talent. From a fiduciary standpoint, this advice that Jesus gives should come with a disclaimer. It is a pretty risky strategy. I mean, when the economy is humming along, bold investments, 100% returns, fantastic. But when the market tanks, sort of like kind of now, there are times I might have wished our retirement savings was buried in a hole in the ground. It's risky advice. If you follow Jesus, you could lose just about everything. But maybe that's the point. Remember, this is the same financial advisor who said to a rich man once, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. I don't think Goldman Sachs was ever going to hire Jesus. So what to do with what we've got? The financial advice that Jesus gives is very different from the conventional wisdom. And it's different because the economy of God is very different. In this parable, it becomes clear that it's different in three important ways. First of all, Jesus has a very different understanding of time. Now, this parable is part of a whole story that Matthew is telling throughout the gospel. And so this story that we've heard today is connected to what's around it. And then the stories around it, Jesus is talking about the future. He's talking about cataclysmic events. The disciples, they're pretty practical. They want to get to the end of it. They want to cut through it all. They say to him, tell us when this will be. And at that point, Jesus launches into a long discourse, begins in the beginning of chapter 24, and he uses apocalyptic language. He talks about things like wars and rumors of wars, and it's kind of hard to understand. It's sort of cryptic and opaque. But what's clear is that time is not random that the future is not capricious. Time is moving toward God's future. Time is moving toward that vision of Isaiah that we heard last week, where the, the time when God will create a feast for all peoples. It's an image of the beloved community. Time is moving toward the future when God's will will be done on earth as in heaven. 
Jürgen Moltmann, uh, who's a German theologian, put it this way. As Christians, we are not pushed through history by the past. We are pulled by the future. And the future belongs to God. We believe that Jesus, in his life and death and resurrection, opened a new future. A future in which all creation will be set right again. All creation will be made whole again. And so this parable is about how to live while we're waiting for the kingdom to come. The timeline in the parable isn't third quarter earnings. It's not, I got 10 years or five years or two and a half years to retirement. It's the arc of God's history. And so this parable is true whether you lived in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago or you live in Portland right now. It's true whether you live in an agrarian economy or a capitalist economy. It's true in a bull market or a bear market. It's true because the future belongs to God. Second, Jesus has a very different understanding of money, of assets, of resources. In the parable, these servants are given talents, but they are not their own. They're a gift to be used on behalf of the owner. And so the parable begins, it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. He gave to one five and another two and another one. He summoned them and entrusted to them his property. Now, a talent was a large amount. Uh, it's commonly understood that a talent was worth about 15 years' wages of a common laborer. So Portland, minimum wage, that's about $450,000. So even for the, the, the third servant who gets but the one talent, that's a pretty big amount of money. But again, because this is a parable, a talent represents more than just money. It's our abilities, it's our passions, our time, it's the gifts that Stephen was talking about earlier, and it's the opportunities we have to use them. Cotton Mather, who was a 17th century Puritan theologian, put it this way. He wrote, our opportunities to do good are our talents. The opportunities we have to do good with the gifts we've been given, those are our talents. In the economy of God, all of life is a gift, not a possession. And all of it has been given by God to be used on behalf of God. When we talk about stewardship, that's what it is. It's our use of gifts that God has given for us all. You know, in the church, when we talk about stewardship, sometimes we use the language of tithe or tithing. Tithe is uh, from an old English word that just means a tenth. So historically, the church asked people to give a tithe, to give a tenth of their income. Now, that's already pretty bold. I read a few books on personal finances, and a common strategy in those books is that you're to take 10% of your income and set it aside. You don't even count it when you're making up your budget. You just take that 10% and you set it aside, and you let it save up and accrue, because that's the money that you're going to have fun with. That's the money that you're going to travel on. That's the money that you're going to buy a boat with. That's the money that you're going to, I don't know, install a theater quality system in your living room, whatever it is that you want to do with it. In the church, though, we say take that 10% and give it away. Give it away for the sake of Christ and the gospel. But here's the thing. We're not asked to give away 10% so that we can do whatever we want with the other 90%. We're asked to give away 10% as a reminder that the other 90%, that belongs to God too. 
So all those other decisions that we make, big decisions, everyday decisions, are to be made in the light of the gospel, in the light of the way and the truth and the life of Jesus. And then third, Jesus has a very different understanding of meaning, of purpose, of what's valuable, of what matters most. I mean, truthfully, when I think about what to do with what we've got, um, I'm often prone to think in terms of personal security. So whether it's an IRA or a 401k or home equity, I'm wondering, because this is where we are at our stage in life, I'm wondering about, are we going to have enough for retirement? What if we need long-term care? And those are legitimate questions. But that's not what Jesus is talking about in this parable, because that's not where we find the deepest meaning in life. As I said, this story is part of a series of parables. And so Jesus tells another one uh, earlier. This comes at the end of chapter 24. It's a parable about a master and a servant. 24, it starts at verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise slave whom his master has put in charge of his household to give the other slaves their allowance of food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave. Uh, whom the master will find at work when he arrives. Truly, I tell you, he will put that one in charge of all of his possessions. But if that wicked slave says to himself, my master's delayed, and he begins to beat his fellow slaves and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour that he does not know. And, well, it does not end well. You can read verse 51 for yourself. So what's the purpose of servants and the wealth entrusted to them? Well, in the parable we heard, it's not to use what's been given to them for their own pleasure, but to make sure everyone has what they need. That's stewardship. It's to use the gifts that have been given to us all to make sure everyone has what they need. Doug Beats, uh, who was a theologian and, uh, and an economist, he wrote a book once called, the, the, uh, called God the Economist. And he pointed out that our word steward comes from an older English word, word or word. The sty word was the person who kept the pig pen in the summer so that no one would go hungry in the winter. That's a sty word. That's what stewardship means. It's using the gifts that have been trusted to us to make sure everyone has what they need to survive and to thrive. And so in the parable of the talents that we heard, it's made clear that one thing we're not permitted to do is just sit on what we've got. One thing we're not permitted to do is bury our gifts And imagine we are not responsible for anyone else. So even as we think about things like buying a house or getting our kids through college or planning for retirement, we're still required to think about our responsibility for others. And to make that point, Jesus tells another famous story. It's the one that follows right on the parable that we heard this morning. It's the parable of the sheep and the goats. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, then he will sit at the throne All the nations will be gathered, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, the sheep on the right, the goats on the left. And it's the ones who feed the hungry and visit the imprisoned and tend the ill and clothe the naked. Those are the ones who are welcomed into their eternal reward. And those who don't, again, doesn't end well. So within the economy of God, Jesus teaches us to understand time and to understand money, and to understand purpose differently. And if you're new to church, you might wonder, why do these people take this story seriously? 
It's costly. It's risky. It's, it's a little bit foolish. This parable only makes sense if we believe what Jesus believed about time and resources and purpose. It only makes sense if you believe Jesus. And I do. Because I've known the power of his life and his gospel and his spirit to change things, including changing me. And I've seen the kind of future that he's talking about. I've seen it in the real lives of real people. And because we're given this, this incalculable gift of Christ, because we've seen in him God's inexhaustible supply of compassion and grace and strength and love, we all have us, as people created in the image of God, we all have in us the capacity to be bold in loving neighbors and strangers and enemies. We have the capacity to take risks with forgiveness and to underwrite peacemaking and invest our lives in works of mercy and justice. And so the question for each of us is, what do you believe? Who do you believe? And then, how are you spending your money? And how are you spending your life? There are big decisions that we all face. Decisions about the future, decisions about kids in college, retirement. And there are everyday decisions about housing and health care and what to buy, what not to buy. And because we live in this American economy, because it is complex and it is complicated, it's important to be attentional. It's helpful to have assistance. Maybe that's from Everett's, which is the stewardship agency of Mennonite Church USA. Or maybe it's a financial advisor you have at work. Or maybe it's your Uncle Bob, who seems to know a lot about this kind of stuff. But because we believe in God's economy, it's very important that we make decisions in the light of Christ and his gospel. It's important to ask whether the way we're spending our money matches our values and our commitments. It's important to ask whether the way we're spending our lives is for what matters most. Now, to be candid, um, it's not a coincidence that we are hearing this parable today, nor that I am talking about stewardship this morning, because here at Portland Mennonite Church, we are in the process of preparing a budget for 2023. We're trying to figure out how to spend the money we've got, the money we all give in the next year. We're asking how our budget will reflect uh, and will line us up with what we believe God is calling us to do. And a little later, Dave Johnson, who's the chair of the table, will get up and say just a little bit more. But I want to say, as I look ahead to 2023, I'm excited. I'm excited about what's ahead. For the first time in almost three years, uh, we are gearing up rather than scaling back. We started Sunday school again. Last week, we hosted for the first week families with the Family Promise Metro East program. Next month, we're preparing to welcome a new pastor. And we're continuing caring ministries like Stephen Ministry, faith formation ministries like Mennonite Youth Fellowship. We're continuing to offer affordable early childhood education to families in this neighborhood through Sunnyside Mennonite Montessori School. We're continuing to try to disentangle ourselves from the white supremacy culture that's plagued the history of this country. And our racial justice committee has taken the lead there. We're continuing to partner with Night Strike and Street Roots and Mennonite Central Committee, and Mennonite Disaster Service, and Mennonite World Conference, and a lot of other agencies that have Mennonite in their title. And next year, we're looking forward to going back out to the coast for annual retreat. And next year, we're going to go roller skating again, because last year was the first time, and that was a blast, and we're going to do it again. And there's an outside chance I'll actually put on skates this year. We'll see, we'll see how much of my uh, health care deductible I've paid up at that point. So. 
But it feels like we're starting to, to get back to full steam. And that, that momentum, that capacity uh, opens up new possibilities, some of which we haven't even thought about yet. So I'm excited because after the disruptiveness, after all the uncertainties of the pandemic, we're moving forward again. Now, the challenge in preparing a budget for next year is there's a lot of things we want to do in 2023. Um, and we all know that inflation has raised the cost of everything. So as we've been working on this budget to do what we hope to do, we'll take an increase of about 5%. Now that's less than the consumer price index, but that ain't nothing. I don't know if we can do it or not, but we're not gonna not ask. So I hope each of you will prayerfully and carefully consider what you can anticipate given uh, in 2023. And look, I know as the lead pastor and someone who's been here now for 24 years, I am the biggest item in the budget. Your best fiscal move would be to trade me in for a newer, younger, cheaper model. So I know that it can seem a little self-serving for me to be the one up front asking you to give more. And if all we were trying to do is maintain a staff and maintain a building, that wouldn't be a good enough reason. But I'm convinced that one of the great ministries of the church, one of the great gifts of the church, is to challenge all of us to be intentional about what we do with what we've got, however much or however little that might be. To challenge us to be thoughtful about the ways that our money reflects our values and commitments. And to challenge us to be generous and joyful and grateful. So how are you spending your money? And what's that say about how you want to spend your life? We've all been entrusted with gifts from God, money, and also time, and abilities, and wisdom, and strength, and empathy, and the opportunities to use all those gifts. Opportunities as close as the people in our families, the neighbors around us, the city we live in. I love the way that the poet Mary Oliver asks the question. Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? May God grant us the wisdom and the courage uh, and the faith that we're going to need. Amen.